There is the sloth. Don't you just love that smile? That was incredible. The one thing that we haven't talked about, though, around the word sloth is this word that we probably first think of when we think of the word sloth, and that is lazy. And what you're not going to find is probably your child, your son or your daughter, coming up to you and saying, hey, mom, or hey, dad, let's go to the zoo because I want to go see the sloth. Did you know, mom, that they have four compartments to their stomach and it takes them a month to digest their food? Or did you know that they, that they go at six and a half feet per minute? Oh my goodness, that's so fast. And I love it when they just hang around and when they just don't move anything, they just stare at me. Mom, can we please go to the zoo? I mean, the sloth is not going to be, right, the marquee animal for the Henry Dorley Zoo in their advertisements. You're just not going to see it. And this morning, we're going to continue our series entitled, One is Greater Than Seven. And we're, going to talk, we're talking about the seven deadly sins, but more importantly, we're talking about the remedy or the prescription for what those sins um, do in our life and how Christ can help us overcome that. Adrian introduced the series, and then he talked about, spent one Sunday talking about greed and its, and its remedy, and then he spent two Sundays talking about pride and its remedy. And so today, as you've guessed it, we're going to talk about sloth. The Bible doesn't paint a very flattering picture about sloth. We're going to see in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. And in Proverbs, there's a whole host of things. A sluggard doesn't get out of bed. And this picture that he just flops like a wet fish back and forth, back and forth. Or he's like a rusty door hinge. The sluggard puts his hand to his food and, and he lacks motivation to bring it to his face. The sluggard's roof sags and it sinks down and rain pours in on his head. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. And the desire of the sluggard f- kills him for his hands refuse to labor. And all day long he craves and he craves. And so there's not a very pretty picture that the Bible portrays about being a sluggard or slothfulness. And I think that you would agree that it's not a very pretty picture. And you would say, but that's not me, right? That I don't have a problem with putting my hand in my food and not having the motivation to bring it to my mouth, or maybe we're thinking along the lines of, I mean, what is the harm in sloth in my life, right? They're cute, they're cuddly. I mean, it doesn't seem like they would harm anybody. I mean, why is sloth a sin? And even for that matter, why is it included in these deadly sins? And this is what I want you to consider. Because I think most of us don't think or we view ourselves as hard workers and we view ourselves as being very, very busy. And I believe that to be true. In fact, we, um, one of the 
defining characteristics of being in America is that we prescribe to this Protestant work ethic. It's just who we are. And so I really believe that most of us don't struggle with this idea of sloth. But I want to read to you a quote from Kathleen Norris that I think will move us on a different path. People don't think of sloth as a sin because we associate it with physical laziness. Who cares if you make your bed? But that's just the beginning. Ancient sloth incorporates a spiritual side, and that's a nasty situation. Ascidia, which is another term for spiritual sloth, is the root of a lot of bad things because of its ability to nourish other vices. And so here's the deal. It's not that we aren't working hard. It's not that we aren't busy. The question is, are we working hard and are we, and are we busy at the right things? It's like that we become, and this term is called, it's like that we become lazy in our busyness. That we have this full schedule and we go through our full schedule in this spiritual haze, right? And we are hating interruptions and we resent um, needy people coming into our life and we're driven by this craving, right, to have that next comfort or whatever that weekend might be or that next vacation or whatever it might be in our life. The early church believed that not acting because one refused to do what love is asking us to do or what God is asking us to do was the deadliest and most dangerous of our sins. So let's define sloth this morning. Here's what sloth isn't. Stillness is not necessarily sloth. Scripture says that we are to be still and know that I am God. And we read many times in the New Testament that Jesus took time away from his disciples and from his teaching to get away, to be by himself and to pray. The Sabbath is not necessarily sloth, being slothful. When Jesus says, right, that we are to work, that we are to spend our days to work, and then in that, we are to take some time off to rest and to focus. Recreation is not necessarily slothfulness. When done appropriately, um, it can be good for us, and it can be a very good reflection of what the joy that God has put inside of our heart, the joy that God gives us as a son, as a daughter. So this is what sloth is. It's a lost desire to love, and, a, and it's lost the taste for what is truly satisfying. At its core, sloth is a lack of appetite for God's gift, for God's gifts. It's a blindness, it's a deadness to his beauty. So sloth isn't necessarily the absence of work. Sloth is, though, the absence of purpose. 
This is what sloth will do in your life if you let it grow and it becomes a daily part of who you are. Look at this list. Sloth will cost you joy in God in your daily routines. Sloth will blind you to how God designed work as a means for you to love others. Sloth will blind you to the needs that only you can fill. Sloth will cost you your love for the local church. Sloth will dull you with endless amounts of amusements in your life. Sloth will blind you to your urgent need for Christ. Sloth will close your eyes to the wonder and to the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. Sloth will mute your worship during the week and when you come together on Sunday morning. Sloth will rob you of your true leisure and refreshment. And in, in reality, sloth will kill your richest joys in your life. I mean, that to me is such an incredible, incredible list. And when sloth is left unchecked, it becomes very costly in our life. How many of you remember the phrases that your grandparents or your parents said to you growing up? And maybe some of you still say these phrases, and if you do, that's okay. Um, but phrases like, if you keep making that face, you're going to freeze like that, or some iteration of that. Or um, you, don't, you don't have to like it, but you do have to do it, right? Don't do the crime if you can't do the time or something like that. One of my wife's favorite is, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first set out to deceive. My kids hated that one. And, and, and well, that's the way the ball bounces. I'm not really sure what that one means. But, right, we, we use these kind of phrases in our life. Well, this morning I want to share with you a phrase, a statement that you will be able to use not only in your life, but you'll be able to share that with your kids and with people that you come across, it's one that um, is really the big idea for this morning that I think that if we really buy into this particular statement, that it's going to help us move out of, if we find ourselves caught into this idea of sloth in our life, this will begin to help us to move out of that and to stay clear of that. And here's the phrase, don't let the routine of life keep you from the life of routine. Don't let the routine of life keep you from the life of routine. Now we're going to, I'm going to flesh this out, but all of us, right, we, we are kind of like people that are looking for this miracle formula. We're this kind of this instant fix people. But here's the interesting thing about our life, is that God has given us daily routines, right? We breathe in and we breathe out. We wax on and we wax off. Sorry, the reference to the Karate Kid, my bad. Right, but we get up, right? We get up, we brush our teeth, we bathe our body even though it doesn't stay clean, we just keep doing it again. We feed ourselves, it's not gonna stay fed so we do it again. We gas up a car that's soon gonna be empty, right? We wash our clothes that are going to need to be washed again. We drive the same road, we filled out the same report, we open the store, we keep the assembly line running, we start the sermon, we do our work, 
We drive the same place, right? Our life is full of routine. And it would seem then that sloth would have it easy to make an inroad in our, in our life because here's what happens sometimes is that in our routine, we become bored. We become bored with our life and then we begin to shirk our responsibilities. We begin to care less in our life. We say things like, we hate this crazy town. I can't wait to get out of this town. We resent the demands that people make on us. We want to be left alone, right, in our well-deserved apathy. And we get to the point where I've heard many people say this, and it saddens my heart, that they say, Kevin, or whoever, I don't have any purpose. And before we know it, this becomes us. Or maybe what we do is like what this well-known pastor said, is that we have this disease called selective sluggardliness. In other words, we're doing fine here and here and here and here and here, but there's this one area, right, that we're not doing well in, that we're being slothful in. And he would say that if we're not careful, if we're not applying the remedy that we're going to talk about a little bit later, that that one area could bowl over all these others and we're going to be in trouble. So don't let the routine of life keep you from the life of routine. So here's the remedy. Here's the corresponding virtue, virtue to this sin of laziness. So are you ready? I mean, here's the word, right? And it's the word diligence. And it doesn't sound like a fun word at all, right? Diligence, no matter how you say it, it doesn't sound fun. Even if we go to the definition, it's careful or persistent work or effort. And you might be saying, what? Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that I am to put as the definition is, I'm to be careful, or I'm to be persistent in my work, or I'm going to put effort into my relationship? Is that what you're telling me? And I would say, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. So here's the principle for diligence, this effort, this work that we're, this remedy for sloth, is that every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. Every time that you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. Let's say that you are um, at Hy-Vee, and it's around lunchtime, and you're looking at all of the options to eat, and you finally say yes to the orange chicken 
with fried, no, let's go with steamed rice. It's a little more healthier, right? So orange chicken with steamed rice. What you've just done is you've said no to the Mongolian beef. You've said no to pizza, right? You've said no to barbecue pork. You've said no to salad. You've said no to the market fresh sandwiches. You've said no to gelato. Well, maybe not saying no to gelato. But right, this is what you've done. You've said yes to this and no to this. A very simple, simple principle. But here's the deal. Spiritual growth, right, is hard for us. It's easy to make excuses for not reading our Bible, to pray, or to come to church um, on a consistent basis, or to give, or to care for the people that God has put around me, or to serve in some form or some fashion. Right? We all know that these things are incredible, wonderful things, and they're very enjoyable, but there's times when they can be very hard. And it's in those times that we have this temptation, right, to be lazy, to cut corners, to give a less than, um, a less than more effort in this to our God, to be lazy, to be slothful. And when we do that, we begin to realize that it costs us something. And so we need to learn to say yes to the right things. You can't do everything. You will not be able to do everything. And so you have to be choosy with what you say yes to. We also have to learn to say no. We have to learn to be able to say no at work or to be able to say no to certain activities in life. Because if not, you will be saying no to your family when they need you to say yes. You'll be saying no to God when he wants you to say yes. You're not gonna be able to have enough energy to be engaged in the life and the fabric of the church family. And you're not going to be able to be obedient to God when he says for you to love that person or to go and serve someone. So every time you say yes to one thing, I want you to think about that you're saying no to something else. Let's go to, to God's word this morning. And I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 6, and I want you to see this being laid out for us in these two passages. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Oh, there's a spider. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we desire each of you, and I, as I'm reading this, I want you to see this idea of diligence, this idea of persistent work or effort coming out in these verses. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I mean, you see that? 
each of you to show the same earnestness, the same diligence, and then here's the result, so that you may not be sluggish, that you may not be lazy, that you might be imitators. Turn to Second uh, Peter. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and, and do the same thing as I read this passage and you follow along. Look for those words that describe this definition of diligence. Starting with verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfast or steadfastness and steadfastness with goodness or godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins therefore brothers be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never fall. We see this phrase over and over in this passage, right? Make every effort. Make every effort. Be diligent. Provide routine in your life, in your spiritual journey, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and then the result is that these qualities in you, and when they're increasing, will keep you from being ineffective, will keep you from being unfruitful. And the result is, is that, that you will never fall. It keeps you from falling. Just incredible, incredible passages there. I want you to, to listen to this as I read. And when it talks about routine, because I think we shy away from that in our life as a Christian, could we regard repetition as a saving grace in our life, one that keeps returning us to essential understandings that we can discover in no other way? The human need for routine is such that even homeless people establish it the best they can, walking the same streets, foraging in the same dumpsters, sleeping in the same spots, or in an attempt to maintain or in an attempt to maintain basic relationships with people and places. For any of us, affluent or not affluent, it is by means of repeating ordinary rituals and routines that we enhance the relationships that nourish and sustain us. A recent study that monitored the daily habits of couples in order to determine what produced good and stable marriages revealed that only one activity made for a consistent difference and that was the embracing of one's spouse at the end of or at the beginning of each day. Most surprising to Paul Bosch, who wrote the article about this study, was that, and this is what he said, that it didn't seem to matter whether or not in the moment the partners were fully engaged or even sincere. Just a perfunctory peck on the cheek was enough to make a difference in the quality of the relationship. So this is what he comments, and he said, this should not surprise churchgoers. Whatever you do repeatedly has the power to shape you, has the power to make you over into a different person, even if you're not totally all the time engaged every minute. Did you catch that phrase? Whatever you do repeatedly, whether positive or negative, 
has the power to shape you, has the power to make you into a different person. Now, I want to be very clear this morning that diligence does not save you. Only Christ can save you. Only his restoring power is strong enough to save you. One of the most frightening passages or parables in the Bible is a story, is a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And let's, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's not going to be on the screen, um, but I'm going to read it for you this morning. And, and we know this story. Jesus talks about this, this owner, this master who had a lot of wealth, and he decided to go away. And in that, he was going to go away and he was going to leave all of his possessions to these three servants of his. The one he gave five talents and the one he gave two and then the one he gave one. And the parable says that, that the owner gave each one according to his ability. Well, the owner left and we read that the first one increased the amount that he was given by the same amount. So he had five and he was able to earn five more. The second one did the same. He had two and he was able to earn two more. The third one was scared and decided that he was going to bury that talent so that when the, when the owner came back, he was able to present it with him. So I want to pick it up in um, chapter 25 and we're going to start with verse 24. He also, who had re received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid, and I went and, had one, and, and, went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. And so I think what Jesus is saying here to us is that he wants us to not be, I mean, that's such a strong rebuke, right, to this, to this man. And what Jesus is saying here to you and I is that he doesn't want us to be spiritually conservative. He doesn't want us to hide our spiritual talents. He's saying to you to go ahead Go ahead and take risks with what God has given you. He's given you permission to do that. It's the very thing that Jesus invites you to do. This is an area where it's okay to not be conservative in your spiritual life with what Jesus Christ has given to you. Go ahead and take risks with that. We're commanded, right, to make every effort. And that effort is a spirit-empowered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled kind of effort where we get our power through the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, where we um, are driven by the gospel that all these truths that are true about who God is, we combat those with the lies that Satan wants to take and, and talk to us about to derail us. And then not only that, but we have faith that fuels this effort in who God is and the and the fact that we're his forever and that we're his child. And that fuels our effort. See, I believe that most of us don't start out as a follower of Christ, striving to be hard-hearted, striving to be lazy, 
But then somewhere along the way, we begin to drift. And it usually starts out with this phrase, well, who cares? Who cares if I don't read my Bible today? I mean, nobody's watching. And so here's the deal again. Don't let the routine of life keep you from the life of routine. And that life is knowing Christ more and more and falling more and more in love with him. And then from that, right, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and you love the people that God has put around you. Campfires are a lot of fun, aren't they? Yes? <laughs> you haven't responded all morning. Yeah? Campfires are a lot of fun. I mean, we, we gather around a campfire and we'll roast um, hot dogs and we'll put s'mores on there. My daughter loves s'mores, but she puts Reese's peanut butter cups in them, so that uh, just is amazing to me. Um, right, and we are hanging around the fire, and a lot of times we get mesmerized by the fire, right? Or we just enjoy being around good people, and we'll watch the stars. Well, early on in my time here in Kearney, um, I, I got to hang out with a bunch of friends around a campfire. Well, it was more like a bonfire, and it was mainly guys, and well, not mainly guys, it was all guys, <laughs> And we were just hanging around this, this bonfire, and it was a lot of fun. But you know, guys can be guys, and so we're always wanting to make it bigger, and so we're throwing, you know, as big a log as we can get or whatever it is to make this bonfire really, really huge. Well, one guy decided that he was going to, and I'm not gonna demonstrate this today because I'm not very agile, but he was going to jump over the fire. And we thought, yeah, go, go, go. And so he jumped over the fire, and it was very successful. And kids, don't try this at home, please. Um, and so this was happening over and over and over again, and until one time, um, <laughs> one of my friends decided that he was going to jump over the fire, and he was a rather large man. And, and at, unbeknownst to him, at the same time, there was another guy that was going to jump the fire, and so we're here on both sides watching this, and there he's there, and they're there. And this guy is not a very large man. In fact, he's 125 pounds less than large, this other guy. And so we're just going, you ever been in that situation, right, where <laughs> you're seeing something, and you know it's just going to end not well, and it just goes in slow motion? Well, that's kind of this moment for us. And we're saying, no, no. And it's too late. They've already engaged. And so they're, they're in midair. And I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. But you know what? It ended okay because the little guy bounced off the big guy, and he fell off. And then the big guy, his momentum just carried him forward, and it was okay. <laughs> right? Here's the deal. Did that stop us from doing what we were doing? No, it didn't. We kept putting more stuff on the fire because we were cold that morning or that night. And so that's what happens. But I want you to think about this fire this morning, or that we're around a campfire. All of you are around a campfire this morning with me. All right, can you pretend that this morning? Good imaginations? Yeah? Okay. So we're all around this campfire, and here's what I want you to, to um, think about. When, when we become 
um, lazy, when we become distracted, and we just don't want to, do, to get up and do anything, what happens when we forget or don't put another piece of wood or a log on the fire? What happens? The fire's going to go out, right? So what happens, though, if I'm sitting around and you're sitting around, and for the rest of the year, we just sit, and we're just putting on sticks, putting on logs, during the day, during the night, what, what's going to happen? The fire's going to keep going, right? Hopefully. The fire's going to keep going indefinitely. If you keep feeding it, if you keep putting logs or wood or whatever it is on the fire, it's going to keep going, it's going to keep burning, and if you put a lot on there, it's going to even get bigger, right? And when we stop putting these on the fire, as we said before, it's going to flame out. Now I want you to think about your life with Jesus Christ like this campfire. He is asking us, it's amazing to me how, much time, how many times that our life with him is um, aligned with fire. Look at Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Your relationship with him is to continue to be white hot, that you are to be never lacking in zeal with him. And so as sons and daughters, we are commanded, right, to keep our calling going. We're commanded to live a life of routine. We're commanded to attend to the fire. And so prayer we put on. Being still and knowing that I'm a God we put on. Going out and loving the people that God says, I want you to love and being obedient to that is putting something on the fire. Serving is putting something on the fire. And we could just go on and on and on and on again. And when we do that, this routine in our spiritual life the fire continues to stay hot in our life. And our relationship with Christ is there. It's when we pull away. It's when we forget or we're distracted. Is when that relationship begins to come cold in our life. To fight sloth, we need to be diligent to flourish as routine people who are missional and who have a hope and to have a fervent, healthy soul. As the team comes up this morning, I just wanna close with three questions to help us in being fervent, to help us to be diligent, to not let the routine of life keep us from the life of routine and here's the first one. What's your current word? What I mean by that, what is that word that you're gonna focus on this year? And it's not a new word, right? It might be grace, it might be love, it might be diligence, it might be persistence, 
Or for me, my word this year is really a phrase, it's think the best. What is that one word that you're gonna focus on? And it's not a new word, but it's going to be continually, excuse me, continually be renewed in you. Here's the second thing. What's your current obedience? We know that the, the, the deeper that we fall in love with Jesus corresponds to the level of obedience that we have as a son or a daughter. So what's my current obedience? And then the third one is what is my current awe? When I look at God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, when I look up everything that Jesus, his son, did for us, the things that he saved us from, the things that he's saving us to, and what's happening right now, am I in awe of that? Or am I going, eh, What's my current word? What's my current obedience? And what's my current awe? Don't let the routine of life keep you from the life of routine.